Good morning, all you awesome people. My name is Rod, and it's not my birthday today, Ian. <laughs> but anyway, it is a special day, though, because, you know, we, ha- we always talk about things and topics around here, right? And so uh, Ian's always, Ian says to me, well, what do you want me to play? I said, just play something awesome. He's like, I got it. And he did. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, my name is Rod, in case we haven't had a chance to meet yet. And yeah, we do things and topics around here, and today is a topic that's a little bit more... Uh, how should we say, uh, theological or something. Um, we're talking about baptism and whether you are here and you have got some preconceived notion or perhaps experience with that and a particular uh, expression of baptism or whether you're just sort of walking in here and you've really just seen stuff on TV and really don't have a grasp of it. Uh, hopefully today will be interesting for you and, uh, and you'll leave with a new appreciation and perhaps a different understanding of what baptism can mean uh, for you and what it can signify. Uh, over the centuries, to jump right in, there have been spectacular arguments, conflict, even bloodshed at times as people drew lines uh, and took sides on baptism-related issues in the history of Christianity. Uh, whether baptism was necessary for salvation or not, whether babies could be baptized or just christened or neither, uh, over the correct words to say during a baptism, and even over whether someone had to be fully dunked, partially dunked, sprinkled, wet, not wet at all. You know, it's like all over the place. When it comes to baptism, religion has done what religion does. It has taken a simple, beautiful thing and turned it into an overcomplicated, bureaucratized dogma uh, encrusted with all sorts of emotional barnacles. And uh, for, you know, churches sometimes will say, you know, uh, we do baptism the way it's supposed to be done, the way it's originally was intended to be done. Well, here's the deal with some, you know, that kind of thinking. Uh, There isn't a church around that practices baptism the way the original first Christians did it. We know how the first Christians practiced baptism because we've got manuscripts describing it out of archaeology. And the first records we have date back to around the year uh, 300 and how baptism was uh, practiced. was very specific. For one thing, Uh, Baptisms were specifically to be done at the hour in which the rooster crows. So this would have been like just pre-dawn. The water had to be prayed over and it had to be a brook or a stream, something flowing. Uh, It had to be, you know, a spring was best, actually. Uh, It was a rule that men were baptized last, children first, then women, then men. You were not allowed to wear any jewelry hold any foreign object in your hand to have braids in your hair or to have braids in your beard. That was the thing back then. I would like if beard braids came back in, actually. That'd be awesome. Um, And catch this. It was mandatory to be baptized naked. That's right. Talk about raw symbolism. Uh, It was seen as significant because, you know, you took off all your old, dirty, soiled clothing. Back then, people didn't have changed the clothing. They would wear the same clothing for a long, long time. You take off your old clothing, signifying your old sinful life, and step fully revealed, uh, transparent, naked into this flowing water that would wash away your past. And you were immersed in this watery grave Your old life died, and when you stepped out alive in Christ, 
As the sun rose on a new day and the rooster crowed, you were new and you were clean. And then as you stood there on the riverbank, swinging wild and free, someone would come and hand you a new set of clothing. And you would put it on. Uh, to wear for your new life. I mean, it's incredible symbolism. Hey, you imagine that. So no, we don't do baptism the way the first Christians did it. And if anyone ever tells you their church does it the original way, dude, go check it out, man. It would be, it'd be crazy. Um, you can ask them where they got the rooster, too. That would be, that would be, uh, be curious. So what, what we try to do around here at the meeting place, whether you've been here for a while or not, is we try to uncomplicate things and simplify things around the Christian faith and around this whole trust in God thing. Uh, and, you know, de-junk all the junk that gets, uh, you know, laden on top of all of the things that we can often associate with Christianity. And it's no, dis- no different when it comes to baptism this morning. Uh, there's a great story in the New Testament that I think is a, it's a beautiful picture of, uh, I'm going to look at this a little different perhaps. You may have heard this before, maybe not. Uh, it's printed in your program. Story of a guy. His name's Philip. He hears about Jesus, decides to put his trust in Jesus uh, as his higher power, so to speak, and he gets baptized. And he signs up to volunteer at the very first church in the city of Jerusalem. And after doing something equivalent to set up and take down for a while, people uh, just ask him to be one of the people who distributes lunch every day. So he agrees. And by all accounts, Philip uh, does a really good job, you know, making sure that nobody is overlooked. But it's tiring. It's exhausting. And uh, one night he's asleep. In the middle of the night, the story goes, he wakes up and there's an angel in his room. And the angel tells him he's supposed to get up and run down the road south heading out of Jerusalem. So instead of saying, oh man, I must have, you know, I ate a bad falafel or something, you know, this is what's happening. He figures, you know what, uh, if an angel tells you to run downtown, maybe you should do it. So he gets up and he goes. And as the sun is rising, he is jogging down the road and he sees this swanky chariot and there's this striking looking African guy sitting in it and he's reading a scroll. Uh, And back when everything had to be written by hand, scrolls were incredibly expensive and only educated people could either even read. And so Philip sees that, you know, this is not just some ordinary guy, right? So as the chariot kind of passes, God gives Philip one of these little nudges in his spirit says, go over and talk to that guy, right? So Philip, he's used to following these little nudges. He knows they lead on adventures sometimes. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go do it. So he, he, he jogs over and he says, hey man, what you reading? And the guy says, well, I'm not sure exactly. I've been on this road trip. I picked up this Old Testament scroll and I can never figure out what these things are talking about. So can you read? And Philip says, yeah, yeah I can read. And so the guy says, hey, why don't you just hop in here for a minute while, while we're trucking down this road? So it turns out this guy was the official liaison of the queen of Ethiopia, uh, a woman named Candace. And he was in charge of her treasury. And we're not told his name, I don't want to keep calling him the Ethiopian guy. So I looked up some common Ethiopian names on Google and it said Elias was pretty popular. So let's just call him Eli. Okay. So here's how the story goes. Eli invited Philip to climb up and sit in the carriage with him. The passage of scripture, which he was reading was this. This is what it said. He was like a sheep that is taken to be slaughtered like a lamb that makes no sound when its wool is cut off. He did not say a word. He was humiliated and justice was denied him. No one will be able to tell about his descendants because his life on earth has come to an end. So Eli asked Philip, 
Who's this, who's this he guy? Like, who's the, the prophet talking about here in this scroll? Is he talking about himself? He's talking about someone else. And Philip says, no, no, he's talking about Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus? And this, Eli's clueless. And so Philip starts to speak, and he starts from this passage of Scripture. He told him about Jesus and this, and this good news, the story. And, and as they ride by this river or creek, some noticeable bottle, body of water, Eli says, hey, look, here's some water. What's to keep me from being baptized? You know, I wonder how long Philip sat there and thought about that. Because I'm pretty sure Philip had lots of reasons not to baptize this guy. He could have said, dude, I mean, you don't know enough. You didn't even know, know about Jesus until like five minutes ago. Like what, what, maybe, maybe you could attend a class or two or, you know, let me, I'll tell you what, I usually hang out down by the falafel stand on Tuesdays. Next, think about it for a couple of weeks and come and see me, you know, then, right? Uh, after you've thought about this a little bit, but no, you know, and I've heard people say, and I've said this myself at times, you know, we got to make sure people understand what is happening when they get baptized. Well, true confession. I've been thinking about this. Uh, I went to seminary. Okay. I have a master divinity degree. I don't understand what happens in baptism. I don't understand how a life, a past, one's sins and shame are symbolically left behind under the water and someone rises out of this watery experience and steps into a new expression of a different spiritual reality. I don't know how that works. Uh, I don't know the mechanics of how God takes our yes to baptism and how that somehow works to seal our spiritual standing to clothe us and adopted into a new eternal family. I mean, I understand how baptism is at the same time entirely God's action of pouring out grace onto someone's life and also... Someone making the choice to invite grace into their life, right? I, I don't even know why Jesus chose water as this medium by which to, we're called to kind of proclaim to the world that we started a new spiritual chapter in our lives. I mean, he could have chosen anything, right? Some other drier thing, maybe. Um, I don't understand a lot of that, but I don't understand a lot of things. And, and I don't understand, you know, I, I heard someone say once, and I've said this a few times, uh, nobody knows how electricity works. It's a mathematical thing, but nobody really knows. But it doesn't matter that I don't know, right? I, I, it doesn't keep me from experiencing its power when I plug something in. And same with you. Um, nevertheless, I think it would be totally appropriate for Philip to say, you know what, dude, you don't know enough about the Bible or this Christian thing and this new faith to do this yet. And, or I think, here's another thing Philip could have said. He could have said, Eli, you got to say the right words first, right? I mean, Eli hadn't even professed his faith in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, asked Jesus into his heart or those kind of things, right? I mean, incidentally, uh, apparently he hadn't confessed his sins either, which is, which is kind, of, kind of curious. Uh, Philip could have said, look, um, Eli, you're rich. Uh, you know, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to get to have, uh, get to the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get to heaven. So maybe if you like sold some of your stuff first and let that sink in, you know, gave away some of your, your wealth. Or he could have just answered the question by saying, well, you know, Eli says, what's to keep me from being baptized? He could have said, well, dude, 
I don't really know how to say this, but there's something different about you. Because Eli uh, was a eunuch, a man who had been castrated, uh, probably as a, a young teenager. And so his voice would have been a higher pitch. Uh, he wouldn't have had any facial hair. He wouldn't have measured up to first century expectations of what it meant to be a man. And according to the Old Testament, uh, a eunuch couldn't participate fully in Jewish temple worship. And so Philip could have said, well, you know what? That passage you were reading was from the Old Testament. And in there it says people that you maybe don't quite fit in the church. Philip's answer to Eli's question. What can stand in the way of my being baptized could have been a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe a whole bunch of reasons to say maybe not now, maybe not here, maybe wait a while. But Philip baptized him anyway. You know what? Here's the thing. When it comes to baptism, each of us is like Eli. Right? Every single one of us could list plenty of reasons why when it comes to baptism, we might consider ourselves unworthy, ill-equipped, not quite mature enough, not knowledgeable enough. All of us can intellectualize. We can also listen to those other darker voices that whisper to us sometimes, well, that God might not love us or make us question how God could accept us for, you know, because of all the stuff that we've done. But the good news is that God calls us. He, God calls us. God loves us. God invites us into his beloved family anyway. None of those reasons that we recite in our head about why we are unqualified count. And those reasons can't prevent us from stepping into a new journey, a new start, a new beginning. Baptism, this experience, gives us a new voice, a new identity to live in to step into. Baptism becomes an anchor in a new story. You know, it's, it's a little interesting uh, quirk about this story that uh, in the New Testament, uh, it, it's one of those interesting Bible things. In most Bibles, when you get to the end of this story, just before it says that the Ethiopian uh, commanded the chariot to stop and got out and Philip baptized him, there's a little footnote right after the question that Eli asks. What is standing in the way of me being baptized? There's this little footnote. And if you click on it on your, on your phone or your computer, it pops up. It says, some manuscripts add Philip saying, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Uh, that line isn't included in most of the oldest, most reliable ancient manuscripts. And so it isn't included in most Bible translations. And there are all sorts of academic and archaeological nerdy reasons for that that are far too boring to talk about. Uh, but suffice it to say, it's a little footnote that says what a man named Brennan Manning put oh so beautifully one time, that it is the God of Jesus who loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness. It is the God of Jesus who loves you beyond fidelity and infidelity. That he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain. That he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, and your whole being rejects it. 
Because God loves without condition or reservation, and He loves you this moment as you are and not as you should be. Because none of us are as we should be. You know, this morning while we were uh, rehearsing, it was a lot of fun, and uh, we were talking, Ian and, and Jeremy and a couple of guys, about um, years ago, there was this, uh, they used to call it a LAN cafe, or we're trying to figure out what it was. It was like a place you could go, and all these computers would be networked together, and you could pay a few bucks an hour, and you could play games together, uh, and it was up here, and I don't know, they're not like an arcade, but you know what I mean. So we would go there uh, on a Friday night, and uh, sit in this big network thing full of computers and play video games, and... I was thinking again this week how baptism is often seen as an achieve in the church world. And here's what I mean. In video games, uh, if you play long enough and you get enough skills and you develop a character, a few levels, and you complete enough quests, uh, at some point you'll get an achieve, uh, a marker that indicates that, you know, you've, you've, you've made progress. And you, uh, others can see the marker, and you can say, they can say, hey, look at that person. They accomplished something. And you can say, yeah, I accomplished something. In the church game, it's easy to come away thinking that baptism is like an achieve. It's something you get once you're spiritually mature enough, or educated enough, or leveled up enough. Uh, but baptism isn't an achieve. It's logging into the game. After a fresh install, where your new character steps into a new world and begins a new adventure. And so today, 1.30, we're having a baptism at Long Lake. And, uh, you know, last year, right around this time, we had a baptism. And, uh, and I shared this message. And we did something we'd never done before. We basically said, hey, you know what? Today's your day. If you want to do it, we're going to be there. I'm going to be in the water. Gary's going to be in the water. We've got extra towels. And we went out there, and 10 people got baptized. And uh, I was just talking with one of them uh, the other day, and he just remembers that so awesomely. He decided he was just going to do it. He had so many reasons why you know, he wasn't ready, and he did. And it, was such, it became such a marker for him in his life. And so we're going to do that again today. We're going to be at one thirty down Long Lake. And uh, there's some people who are, have already told us they're, they're ready and, and they prepared a bit. And so we might hear a couple stories. Uh, but public speaking is not a prerequisite for baptism. Okay, that's not anywhere. Uh, baptism just marks the start of a new story. A chapter that starts being written today for some of us. And someday you'll be able to tell the whole story. That chapter that can get start written today. And there's nothing standing in the way of you getting baptized. And so, how about at one thirty we just show up and just let God do the rest, okay? I hope, you're, I hope you'll join us for that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Feel free to join along if you like. God, when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to faith, when it comes to trust, especially when it comes to trust in the, in the Christian sense, in the sense of trusting you, Jesus, with our spiritual lives, that you are there for us, that you provide for us, that you save us from our, our past and sins and our the things that have carried us, buried us, and crushed us. I pray, God, that you would help us today through this story of Philip and Eli, through the stories and the people who will be being baptized today. I pray that you would encourage us, God, 
You are alive, you are well, you are at work in this city, you are alive and well and at work in, in so many lives. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see that. Maybe we're dealing with something difficult, maybe we're coming or moving towards something, from something difficult or moving towards it. I pray that you would give us eyes that would see you at work, hearts that would trust that you're taking care of us, and uh, help us to rest only and always in your grace. In Jesus' name.